Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and blessings and welcome to another installment of the Gist of Freedom and Faith. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author Leslie Gist and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who with faith and focus are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. The Civil War began on P1. Lincoln's earlier words of prophecy, a house divided against itself. Extreme conflicts between the industrial north and the agricultural south, abolitionists and slave owners, those who wish to extend the region of slavery, and those who wish to arrest its extension, these conflicts and many more raced past the point of reason. And Americans fought Americans. Many Northerners felt that the war would soon be over. They were sure that the Northern troops would quickly overcome the Army of the South. Northern soldiers marched to war full of confidence. However... Hello, this is the Gist of Freedom. You're listening to Leslie Gist and Dr. Ronald Myers. Are you there, Doc? I is here. Very good, very good. Well, I just want to um, say thank you for coming on the show, and could you please introduce yourself to the audience? Okay. My name is Reverend Dr. Ronald Myers. I'm the founder and chairman of the National Juneteenth Holiday Campaign, National Juneteenth Observance Foundation, also um, working as the leader of the National uh, Association of Juneteenth Jazz Presenters. Wonderful. Now, why are we um, having this show tonight? What's, you know, what are we here to talk about? Well, I heard a little bit about the uh, the Civil War. I'm talking about this evening the campaign that we have to establish the 19th of June, Juneteenth, as America's second Independence Day making the National Day of Observance, like Flag Day or Patriot Day. As you know, sister, on the 4th of July, Americans of African descent were trapped in the tyranny of slavery. George Washington was a slave owner. Thomas Jefferson was a slave owner. Many of the founding fathers were slave owners. It wasn't until 88 years after the country's first Independence Day uh, celebration that the slaves in Texas, the last state where slavery was allowed, the last state of the rebellious states during the Civil War, where slavery was allowed, that the uh, entrapped, uh, our ancestors trapped in the tyranny of slavery learned their freedom. The 19th of June, 1865, when Eugene Gordon Granger uh, made the announcement of freedom in Galveston, Texas. Juneteenth is recognized as a state holiday 
or state holiday observance in 41 states, and we've gotten eight pieces of legislation through Congress, and we're working now for the final piece of legislation uh, for Juneteenth and an official national holiday observance in America. Well, now, how many um, how many uh, politicians did you lobby and successfully lobby for this holiday and signed on? Because I'm getting a bunch of email blasts from you every time you have a success story, you send out a a blast. So just give the audience an idea. Well, you know, every state has two United States senators. And uh, the the legislation for Juneteenth to be established as a national uh, day of observance has to go through the United States Senate first. So we have 50 states, so we have 100 U.S. senators. Everybody's states, every state has two senators. So I'll work with all 100 senators with my Juneteenth directors. I have a director and a committee in all 50 states, and we work with the uh, um, with the senators in their states as they represent the interests of those states in Congress. Okay, and you've you worked with several of them. You want to uh, give accolades and thanks to the ones that you worked with and, and supported you? Well, we have 30 United States senators that co-sponsor uh, legislation introduced by Republican Senator Kay Bailey Hutchison and co-sponsored by fellow Texas Republican Senator John Cornyn to recognize the 19th of June as Juneteenth Independence Day as a National Day of Observance. So uh, we have uh, other senators. Some of our Senate co-sponsors include uh, Gillibrand, Senator Gillibrand, uh, Schumann, from New York, we have uh, Senator Thad Cochran and Roger Wick from Mississippi, Carl Levin from Michigan, Senator Bennett from Colorado. We have 30 co-sponsors from many states across the country, and I'm looking How forward. Many states, hopefully, this I'm week. sorry, I'm sorry, Doc. How many states have signed on so far? Well, we got 41 states that recognize Juneteenth as a state holiday or state holiday observance. So that legislation went through the – that recognition went through the state legislature uh, and the governor or both to recognize Juneteenth officially uh, in your state. Now, the state of New Jersey, uh, legislation was passed to recognize Juneteenth as an official day of observance uh, uh, several years ago. So we've done the same work in all 50 states. We have nine states left. Uh, hopefully, this will be the year we'll get at least most of those states on board. Okay, so you, you're trying to get nine more. And what are what are those states? Uh, which ones? Well, I'll tell you what. I know Hawaii is one of them, and North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana. <laughs> uh, we still have the state of Vermont, Utah. Vermont? Uh, well, I'm surprised about Vermont. Yeah, we still. Excuse me, I made a mistake. New Hampshire. I'm sorry, boy. My Vermont folks gonna get mad at me. I meant New Hampshire. <laughs> the, uh, the neighbor to uh, <laughs> well, we'll get in trouble. The neighbor to uh, Vermont, and we have Utah, uh, Montana. Uh, like I said, uh, North Dakota, South Dakota. We still have uh, Hawaii. 
hopefully we were pretty close to getting Hawaii's legislation through. Hopefully this uh, year we'll finally get it done. And, and Maryland, Maryland is a surprising state that has not recognized officially Juneteenth yet, the home state of Frederick Douglass. Uh-huh. So did he have to escape from Maryland? What's that now? Didn't he escape from Maryland? I don't think he considered yes, he was born Maryland as his home. Yes, he was born on a plantation in Maryland, and he escapes there uh, to his freedom. Um, mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, his great, great story. And whenever we talk about the uh, uh, Emancipation Proclamation, whenever we discuss this period of history, we should always mm-hmm. be cognizant of the tremendous uh, contributions made by the great leadership of abolitionist Frederick Douglass. Um, I know a lot of times uh, people want to um, uh, talk about the Civil Rights Movement and we talk about uh, the Emancipation Proclamation and the end of slavery, but, uh, you know, I want to mention some of the great civil rights leaders, but uh, uh, Frederick Douglass wrote a famous speech, What to the American Slave is Your Fourth of July? And we should always be uplifting the legacy and the leadership and the role that Frederick Douglass played in uh, the end of slavery in America. Mm-hmm. Now, earlier we were on the phone, we were talking about the mass incarceration and um, slavery by another name with the 13th Amendment. Um, you know, why do you think, you know, in respect to what I just said, that it's important to teach and celebrate Juneteenth? First of all, it was our ancestors, uh, Americans of African descent, who heard the announcement in Galveston, Texas, on the 19th of June, the last southern state in rebellion to uh, have their slaves free. They heard the announcement and they celebrated. Now, there were many uh, days of freedom in the history of the United States. The first slaves were freed by the Vermont State Constitution in 1877, which outlawed slavery. And the first uh, graduate from a BS degree, the first uh, black legislature in history, came from Vermont. And then Abraham Lincoln issued an executive order ending uh, enslavement in the District of Columbia. That occurred on April 16, 1862. And that's the Emancipation Day that's celebrated in uh, the District of Columbia. And then, of course, the Emancipation Proclamation was signed by Abraham Lincoln on September 1st, 1862. to go into effect January 1st, 1863, if the southern states remained in rebellion. And, of course, they did remain in rebellion. And our ancestors in D.C. and Maryland uh, stayed up till midnight to give God praise and, and, and for prayer for their first uh, uh, day of freedom. And that's a watch night service. A lot of uh, uh, black folks uh, go to watch night service. They don't know that's an emancipation freedom day celebration. And the news of freedom spread at different times, different places. In Mississippi, we heard about our freedom on May 8th. And we got a say, old saying in Mississippi, Ada May, Ada May, white folks work while black folks play. Emancipation Day in Florida was May 23rd. And so the news of freedom spread at different times because there was a civil war 
uh, going on, and certainly the Southerners weren't going to let anyone know that their slaves had been freed. But we focus on the 19th of June as a day we all come together because we believe in the saying, none are free until all are free. So the Emancipation Proclamation went to effect January 1st, 1863. However, there were still many trapped in the bondage of enslavement in the other states. Texas was the last state, so our ancestors heard the news of freedom, and we decided through the modern Juneteenth movement, historic meeting that took place in New Orleans, Louisiana, Christian Unity Baptist Church, Reverend Dwight Wester, Pastor Reverend John Mosley called a meeting of Juneteenth leaders from across the country. That's when I was uh, selected as the chairman of the movement to gain greater recognition for Juneteenth and the beginning steps to making Juneteenth a national holiday observance on the 19th of June. So, yes, we do have the end of slavery. The legal end of slavery was uh, the passage of the 13th Amendment. But our ancestors did not celebrate the 13th Amendment. It was an action taken by Congress, an important action. Our ancestors did celebrate the, the announcement of freedom, and so we celebrate our day that we are coming together to celebrate the end of our freedom is uh, June 10th, the 19th of June. Texas is Emancipation Day. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so how can one get involved with Juneteenth, and, and how would they contact you if they wanted to well, they can uh, get learn me, they more can get about me. I'm easy to find. Okay. <laughs> and you just go to the Internet and go to a search engine and put in nationaljuneteenth.com or just put in Ron Myers Juneteenth. I'm very visible on the Internet, National Juneteenth. Uh, if you look up that, the very first uh, listings will be our organization and our effort. I welcome everyone to work with us. We have efforts in all 50 states because once we get the state to pass the holiday, then we work with that state's uh, Senate, two senators, and eventually the Congress people to get legislation passed and make Juneteenth a National Day of Observance. And we also are working to establish Juneteenth commissions in all 50 states and uh, Make sure those commissions are funded for the celebration, uh, the education uh, that has to go along with the uh, historic relevance of the end of slavery and teaching that in the schools, celebrating that, studying that in all 50 states. www.nationaljuneteenth.com, and you got me. All right. Now we have to tell everybody more about who you are and how you how you got involved with on this celebration and um you know, let's go back to your childhood if we can quickly. I was born in Chicago and raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin and uh I learned about Juneteenth because it was celebrated in Milwaukee. In fact Milwaukee has one of the largest Juneteenth celebrations in the country. So when I was growing up as a teenager, uh we blocked the streets off and we had uh stages set up with music and food, and we celebrated our freedom in Milwaukee, and that's when I became familiar with Juneteenth. So Juneteenth began in Texas as a celebration of Texas emancipation. They were to spread throughout the country. So you had situations in the north where Milwaukee and even 
the Twin Cities have uh, the largest Juneteenth, some of the largest Juneteenth celebrations in the country. So I learned about Juneteenth uh, growing up uh, in Milwaukee and celebrating as a a uh, young man in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. And um, tell us about your your um, your journey into being a medical doctor. You're just not an ordinary doctor. You're you're extremely special. Tell everybody. Yes, I was blessed to be the first ordained and commissioned medical missionary to the Mississippi Delta, America's poorest region in the history of the African-American church. I always felt that God was calling me uh, to be a doctor, not for financial gain, uh, but to be an uh, instrument in his hands to help people who need health care the most. And so uh, I came to the Mississippi after completing my residency. I graduated from the University of Wisconsin-Madison in 1985, and I completed my residency in family practice at LSU Medical Center Charity Hospital. And then I went on to the Mississippi Delta, America's poorest region, uh, known as America's third world. And some of the counties I practice in, uh, a black baby has a better chance of surviving in Bangladesh in some of the counties in the rural Mississippi Delta. So it was uh, it was there that I began to understand the legacy of slavery because there were several plantations uh, in Holmes County where my clinic was located in Chula that were still plantations in name. And I began to understand that the root of the problem of racism in America uh, goes back to slavery and uh, if we're going to have true reconciliation and healing from the legacy of enslavement, uh, America must really come to grips with its slave legacy. And the best way for all Americans to come together is to celebrate freedom. We celebrate freedom on the 4th of July. That's America's independence from Britain. And we celebrate freedom on the 19th of June. That's the last uh, emancipation day celebrated in the last state slavery is still practiced in Texas. And so I became a medical uh, missionary, and we began to serve people whether they, regardless of their ability to pay or not. And I began to understand that the poverty that I was seeing in the Mississippi Delta uh, had a root cause. You know, people are sick for reasons. And so I learned that as you follow the dollar and you understand the economics, that's why the people are so poor in the Mississippi Delta. And we're talking about our folks. We talk about the great grandparents and the grandparents, the aunts and uncles and cousins we left in the south on our way to the north and east and west coast during the great migration of the last century. Where millions of our people moved to get away from the oppression of the south to opportunities for work in factories in Detroit, Milwaukee, uh Chicago, etc. And so uh, it's time for us to remember our extended family in the Delta and reach back with the love of Christ and help touch their lives, not just through medicine, but also assisting them in a number of areas. The county I work in uh, is a county that has the highest percentage of black farmers and black landowners in any county in the United States. I begin to learn and understand the plight of the African-American farmer and played a role in the um, uh, $2 billion black farmer's settlement 
fact, I farm myself. I was a part of the class that received some of the assistance from the uh, settlement, and I began to see that the black farmer was becoming an ex- extinct uh, entity. Ex- the black farmer, uh, because of what the, the government was doing through the r- racism and discrimination of the uh, Department of Agriculture, we were losing all our black farmers. So I was in the area that had the, uh, I, I teased my friends and who are farming in the Chula area, Holmes County, Mississippi area. I said they're the only ones that kept their 40 acres in a mill. Of course, none of us got the 40 acres in a mill, but I always tease them because they have thousands of acres and they're still our third uh, generation farmers still farming and uh, um, still farming the land. Now, I would think that farming and holistic remedies would go hand in hand. Could you, you know, straighten me out on that logic? Well, you've got to understand the economics of farming. In other words, you'll be a farmer. You have to do your farming in a way where you can uh, grow your products and make enough money to cover your expenses. And so you end up a lot of times with the cash agriculture products, which is like soybean and cotton. Now, organic farming is fine if you have the ability to, to grow vegetables and to market those vegetables. In fact, I was working uh, with the uh, oldest black farming cooperative in U.S. history, the Mousen family of farmers, and many of those farmers started growing vegetables for the schools. And so they would grow the vegetables, and the school systems would buy their food. But, you know, we're the only people on the face of the earth that can't feed themselves. Uh, if you look at if you look at uh, the situation uh, across the world, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to find African Americans brokering in food. I mean, uh, the food is in the is in the grocery stores, uh, but where did it come from? How did it get there? The middleman you find out is not an African American business person. And how do you get the uh, the, if you're going to go into organic farming, how do you get those uh, organic vegetables and foods that you grow? How do you get them to market? So we have not put out the resources, the business plans, or taken serious support our black farmers need. And so many of them have gone out of business, and there are very few of them left. So organic farming is fine. And I know some organic mm-hmm. farmers, but the difficulty they have is marketing their products, making enough money to keep their farms going. Um, my question was related to health care and using the, the home remedies with the, the herbs and different things of that nature as a way of, of curing and healing. You know, there was medicines, um, uh, medicinal uses for, for, um, for African-Americans that we bought from Africa, that we learned how well, you know, to... All, you know, all all medicines are based upon herbs and roots. Uh, even modern medicine is based upon the healing that comes from herbs and roots and right. uh, other type plants. Now, uh, I went to school with several African um, uh, students that were uh, going getting involved in getting their pharmacy degrees because they want to go back to their countries and take some of the roots and the herbs and the, and the remedies that they were using based upon uh, their culture and market those in their country, make it more available to 
uh, other people. So, again, these type of things require planning. Uh, they require economic support and development. And see, that's our problem. We've lost 99% of our land since Reconstruction. Um, and uh, you know where the uh, you know where where does power come from? Uh, we don't own land. You know, I was at I was in Los Angeles at a reception that was set up for me to meet some of the other doctors, and um, you know, I was talking about what I was doing in the Delta, and I was talking about the fact that we pride ourselves on our degrees, but we rent and uh, we drive around cars that we pay high price for. We don't own car dealership, uh, and we've lost 99% of our land since Reconstruction, meaning uh, we've lost it to uh, our families have gone from the Delta and the poor and the areas across the country have moved to the cities, and we forget about the farm back home. Nobody has uh, gone back to make sure that the family land is taken care of and remains in the family. And so we've had a tremendous amount of land loss of African Americans so our economic base for power, which is based upon that, we've lost 99% of our land as African Americans since the Reconstruction period, finding the, at the end of the Civil War on June 10th. What is the what did the bull weevil have to do with that? Well, you know, the bull weevil is a little insect that uh, uh, does a lot of harm to plants, does a lot of harm to uh, crops. And so, you know, you get into a situation where uh, you use certain chemicals and, you know, you get into, you, you're talking about organic farming, but, you know, a lot of farmers use, uh, uh, if you want to talk about the use of chemicals in terms of uh, dealing with insects like the bow weevil, um, but, you know, those are insects that harm some of the agricultural products that the farmers are trying to grow and market and sell. Mm-hmm. So the bull weevil didn't that have a lot to do with the blacks migrating um, to the north. And it's funny, I was just assigned a book to read by a friend, The Warmth of Other Suns. And um, my father is from the north. But from my estimation, it seems as though that bull weevil had a lot to do with um, depleting all of the um, the land, killing the land, therefore, no land, you don't have an opportunity to, to grow any food and make any money. And I think it was by design. Well, um, I think because, we, are the, mm-hmm. we are the only people uh, that can't feed themselves as a people. Uh, black folks had enough land in Holmes County, Mississippi alone. And those black farmers 20 years ago grew food. They could feed every black family in America. Mm-hmm. So part of the major part of the problem is we're not paying attention to these matters. We're not paying attention to where the food comes from. We're not mm-hmm. uh, paying attention to the land and the people that we left on our great migrations to the northeast and west coast cities for opportunities for jobs and opportunities to work in these cities. Now, uh, and we, we, we're not uh, uh, thinking about it. We don't hold conferences on it. Uh, we're not getting together and say, well, let's get together. A, a, a program I tried to put together is to get uh, some of the churches to go down and meet with these farmers, buy the farmers some seed, let, let the farmers grow some agricultural products, greens or uh, turnips or whatever it is, 
powder peas, and then that church will come back and help harvest those products and take them back to their cities uh, and churches. We don't have situations where black farmers are coming to our communities and uh, having an opportunity to sell their products. So mm-hmm. there's a lot that, that we have to take responsibility for, a farmer's market. You know, it shouldn't be difficult if we had enough uh, concern to have many black farmers' markets in our community. But it's going to require us uh, with planning and, most importantly of all, the desire to understand the importance of supporting our farmers uh, in places like the Mississippi Delta. Now, Sherry Sherrod, she had a lot to do with the farming and the farmers' uh, lawsuit. And wasn't there recently a settlement with uh, President Barack Obama under his uh, presidency? Well what, hap- well, what happened was a whole bunch of money left. So, like, for instance, we had a choice of going – I'm part of the class. I'm one of the uh, – I'm one of the black farmers who are part of the settlement and the lawsuit because I farmed on a 20-acre farm and dealt with some of the discrimination that the other farmers ran into. So I want to... Before you, before you delve around. into that, Doctor, before you delve into that story, first give us the backstory about who is Sherry Sherrod. I and don't know Sherry British. Sherrod. The first time I've heard okay. the name Sherry okay, Sherrod. Okay, you don't remember her. You don't remember her. She's the lady that... Um, uh, President Barack Obama, um, under his presidency, she was let go because someone put out an edited version of a speech, sliced it up, and made it sound as though she was a racist against white farmers. And in fact, oh, you talking about the speech was that, um, Yeah, she was trying to help a white farmer. Right, but the but the way they publicized it. Yeah, I've heard it. Yeah, I've heard of that. I've heard of that. Oh, I saw that. Oh, I've heard of that situation. And the Department right. of Agriculture uh, uh, secretary apologized and all that stuff. Right, right. Yeah, that's the one you talked about. Right, she was an advocate and a lobbyist just like you. She was a lobbyist for farmers, black farmers, and really all farmers who were being taken advantage of. And she was given um, a raw deal, but, but they came back and they apologized. And now she's in charge of the people who uh, was responsible for letting her go. But uh, go back to your story about how you're in this lawsuit, because now we're getting the inside scoop of what is actually going on with black farmers. Well, you know, I I work with uh, other black farmers, especially from Holmes County. Uh, I was the chaplain for the, and still remain as a chaplain for the Mississippi family farmers. And so uh, there was a, you know, there's two ways that you can go, class A or class B. Uh, and one of them, if you put your paperwork in, you got a check for $50,000. The other class, you had to do more work in order to get more money from the suit. But even after many of us got our $50,000 checks, <laughs> we always be joking around about those $50,000. We know everybody got their checks because you see the brother running around in a new truck. <laughs> Hey man, you got your fifty grand. <laughs> you tell you got your new truck. But uh, many of us who um, got our fifty thousand dollar checks, like myself, uh, I'm in a situation now where the state of Mississippi, even though uh, fe- uh, there's no federal taxes on the money, thanks to the action that Congress took, 
the folks, uh, the uh, tax commission in Mississippi is trying to audit us and make us pay taxes on the fifty thousand dollar checks we got. Uh, at the time we got them, there were no there were no federal taxes on the tech, checks on the fifty thousand dollars. Now, state of Mississippi trying to make us pay it with penalties. But anyway, that was a majority of us went to that class and got our fifty thousand dollar checks based upon proving that we were black farmers. Now you got to realize that the lawsuit. Uh, when, when Ronald Reagan became president of the United States, he dismantled the Civil Rights Division of the Agriculture Department. So many of our complaints and the things that we wrote about what we were going through were destroyed. So uh, that set the groundwork for this uh, last, the largest class action lawsuit of its kind in U.S. history. But there was still a lot of money left over. And then it was there was a number of farmers who qualified for uh, the settlement money who didn't who did not uh, 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 apply for it. And so there was a new application period, and there's still a lot of money that uh, uh, two billion dollars, I believe, was the amount, and a lot of that money has not been dispersed to the farmers. Okay. Now, for Juneteenth, how could we tie Juneteenth um, to the black farmers' plight and and support them? What would you recommend? What you got to understand is Juneteenth is a celebration of freedom from enslavement. And the root of the problem of racism in America is slavery. The Civil Rights Movement was a movement that uh, responded to the Jim Crow laws and discrimination that took place following uh, when the Union soldiers passed the Reconstruction period from 18... 65 Juneteenth, 1865, in the Civil War, to around 1877, we had two black United States senators and 18 United States congressmen. Now, when the Union troops left, that's when the backlash occurred and uh, uh, the lynchings and the murders and the Ku Klux Klan, the Jim Crow, and all the things that were done to our people uh, uh, happened after the Union soldiers left following the Reconstruction period. And so the Civil Rights Movement... Back up one second, Doc. Now, before they left, we all had guns because we were fighting the Civil War. But during Reconstruction and after Reconstruction, the guns were taken away from us. So now we were left to fend for ourselves against militias. Right, because once the Union soldiers once the Union soldiers left, huh, the backlash occurred. The Union soldiers were there during the Reconstruction period, and when mm-hmm. they left, man, I mean, just uh, that was it. Mm-hmm. Now, so, why um, would um, you know, during the, during during the war and in the Reconstruction period, you would think that most African Americans would have took off to the West where the gold was. Why do you think so many of us remain in the South, especially in that state? It's, it's our home. So it was a home as a slave. Uh, right, but a lot of these slaves, some of them were given land. I know Sherman, um, General Sherman, uh, tried to put in the 40 acres in the mule plan. was overridden by the uh, President Johnson, but uh, still... Like I told you, in Holmes County, the highest percentage of black farmers are black landowners in any county in the United States. 
post-slavery, these are third-generation farmers who go back to slavery, who still farm thousands of acres of land that they received following their freedom. So uh, they may not have not gotten the land from uh, the government, but they were able to maintain life on thousands of acres that they were able to make, uh, to 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 have. And so uh, there was a life for us as agricultural, um, you know, uh, uh, people. We had land. We've lost 99% of it since Reconstruction, but we had land. And we built homes. I totally agree farms. with you. Um, my family, I found out when I was doing genealogy research that my fa- my father's um, grandfather had 300 over 300 acres, and he donated a lot of it away to Pickney Church, Pickney School in Chester, South Carolina. And I asked um, my great great aunt, um, you know, where did he get all this land? And she said uh, that the land was still in the family. And I said, well, how could he have gotten all this land if he was, if you know, if he was a slave, if this was during slavery? She said he wasn't a slave and just laughed. So I really don't understand how the South operated. Um, it seems like there were pockets of areas where blacks were able to live you know, in the South Free, like they had free settlements. There's another one in Tennessee I went to visit called Free Hills. And it's blacks living in Free Hills, Tennessee, they were free too. And they all had land. So um, another, another thing, sister, remember too that the Native Americans, Native of escaped to the Native Americans nations, if you want to talk about the five civilized tribes, Seminoles, Chickasaw, mm-hmm. uh, Chickasaw, uh, Creek, um, uh, Choctaw, you know, uh, they owned slaves. And the Dawes Act that Abraham Lincoln signed required them to share some of their land and resources with their uh, uh, black members of their tribe. That's where the black townships came from, the 20 mm-hmm. or so black townships in Oklahoma. And you see, all these issues mm-hmm. we're talking about is why it's important that we have Juneteenth recognize a national a day of observance. It'll give us the opportunity mm-hmm. on the on an annual basis to focus on what does really mean, what does freedom really mean, and where did freedom come from, or what are all the things you're talking about. The problem mm-hmm. is, they don't teach this stuff in school. Yeah, uh, yeah. They're not. Uh, the country is not dealing with the slave legacy, and Juneteenth affords the nation, America, the opportunity where we can come together during the weeks of Juneteenth uh, to mm-hmm. deal with all this, not just to mention the red summer of 1919. Thousands mm-hmm. of our people were lynched and murdered, uh, mainly out of them in Indiana. Uh, every year during the week of Juneteenth, we go to Omaha, Nebraska, where I do a Juneteenth Jazz Legacy concert uh, there to honor the great jazz legacy a Preston Love in Omaha, but we also have a memorial prayer healing service for what many consider the worst lynching in U.S. history of Will Brown on the courthouse steps of uh, Omaha, Nebraska in 1919. And so um, until we deal with and embrace our history of slavery of freedom, a lot of the questions that you're talking about, and most important of all, we got a whole generation of young people 
that they know nothing about this. Mm-hmm. We need to have Juneteenth recognized as a national day of observance for the purpose of reconciliation and healing from the legacy of slavery, and certainly for us to understand what took place in that period and what does it mean to us as all Americans uh, um, for the freedom of all Americans. Because you got a whole issue now, slavery by another name. Mm-hmm. Is, we, don't even, we don't understand the original slavery. Now we got slavery by another name. We still need to understand what transpired with slavery to freedom, how our people came. You know, it's really something. Uh, uh, we are still teaching people that our ancestors first arrived in Jamestown. Our ancestors are <laughs> not first arrived in Jamestown. They arrived at Old Point Comfort, Fort Monroe, 20 Angolans, and the slave ship called the White Lion on August 20th, 1619. We go there every year for the first African's Landing Day cele- commemoration celebration and the World Day of Reconciliation and Healing for the Legacy of Enslavement. But we even got we even got fuzziness about uh, when we first arrived, who who we were when we first arrived, with 12, 20 Aaron Golans on a slave ship. So Juneteenth allows us to focus on a lot of these issues and give us a platform and a means by which we can address it and, and deal with it and learn from it, and most importantly, hand it down to a generation of young people who have a lot, a lot of you know, a lot of our young people have confusion about race. I was sitting there mm-hmm. watching this program called "What Does It Mean? Who, 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 what Does It Mean? Or who Is Black in America?" It was very sad because uh, you had these children that no, have not been. How you how are you going to deal with the uh, with the discussion of being black when you don't deal with the legacy of slavery? It's impossible. The term black right. came out of chattel slavery. We've got a lot of work to do, but Juneteenth allows us the opportunity to focus as a nation on slavery to freedom, to the celebration of freedom. Uh, there's reconciliation, healing. In fact, we have the National Day of Reconciliation, Healing for the Legacy of Enslavement uh, on the 18th of June, the day before we celebrate Juneteenth. We have a day of remembrance, the Middle Passage, uh, the Red Summer 1919, the lynchings before and after the Civil War, and most importantly of all, uh, the modern-day Ma'afa, where so many of our young people uh, are dying and from violence, and the fact that um, uh, we've lost more of our, our children from abortion than the middle, class, middle passage uh, lynchings and murders combined. And so uh, a black male age 50 or older has 20 times the heart failure rate of a white male. We're the sickest, dyingest people in America. We need to understand what is the root of those problems so we can address them, but they always go back to having uh, a full understanding of the legacy of enslavement and dealing with that in America. Now, we're celebrating on just the freedom, um, our role, African-Americans' role in the abolishment of, of slavery, which is always overlooked. And I think as we um, lead up to January 1st, we should look back and thank not just Frederick Douglass, but there were, there were hundreds of Frederick Douglasses, there were hundreds of William Stills and newspapers and revolts and all kinds of different ways of resistance that took place. And we're celebrating um, our involvement um, by um, reading a book called The Black Abolitionist, written by Benjamin Quarles. And while you were talking, I looked up the chapter 
um, in which he talked about different celebrations that we um, celebrated on our way to the emancipation. And that's Chapter 7. I'm hoping that you'll come back on the show when we get to that chapter to talk about Juneteenth again because there's a few of them um, that we celebrated. It seems like we celebrated Emancipation Day uh, that took place um, in uh, Canada. That was one day. Um, we also celebrated um, uh, June, of course, um, different sorts of, we celebrate Christmas Addicts Day. Um, instead of 4th of July, there were celebrations that um, we did in spite of to, to say, like, when New York um, ended slavery for for good, they felt that they should not celebrate because their brothers and sisters were still enslaved in the South. So they refused to celebrate the 4th of July, and they did stuff on the 5th of July. And Christmas Acts was one of those days. Um, so I would like for you to come back um, in a reading of that, that book, especially Chapter 5, uh, and talk about Juneteenth again and Emancipation Day and Jubilee Day and Watch Night, all of these celebrations um, that have been overlooked. And as you said, Juneteenth is the platform, you know, and I want to thank you for going out and working so diligently for all these years. How many years have you been at this? <laughs> We had a meeting at in New Orleans at Christian Unity Baptist Church in 1994, but I, I organized and held my first Juneteenth celebration in Bogalusa, Louisiana, where I was doing my family practice residency in 1986. Wow, yeah, so it's been a number of years. Year for me. Mm-hmm. So you you are you are a real trooper. Um, our ancestors are applauding your work, and uh, we appreciate what you're doing. I have someone on Facebook saying, you know, we want another federal holiday. Um, as if well, no, no, we don't, we're, we're not pushing for a federal holiday. That We don't need another federal holiday where people are off from work. We're talking about a holiday observance. As you know, when the 9-11 tragedy happened, uh, the mm-hmm. Congress and President Bush put together Patriot Day. They got legislation passed where they recognized 9-11 as Patriot Day. Uh, and so that day is not a federal holiday, but it's a special day set aside for remembrance of 9-11. Um, Flag Day is not a federal paid federal holiday, but it's a day set aside on the 14th of June every year to honor the American flag. So our movement is asking for Juneteenth to be established as a special holiday observance, not a paid federal holiday. We've got to understand that um, uh, another paid federal holiday is not really going to help us in terms of getting our young people to understand uh, their legacy of enslavement to freedom. Uh, but a special day of observance, we believe, is the best way for uh, for slavery to remember, for it to be not only remembered, but uh, so many things we have to deal with when it comes to slavery. And a day observance day on the 19th of June is what we feel is best. And Congress can make that happen with the President of the United States quite easily. And the other holiday, how could I forget, Memorial Day um, came out of um, a black holiday. Were you aware of that story? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, could you tell tell the audience a little bit more about Memorial Day? It was originally called Decoration Day. A a lot of things came out from black folks, you know. 
Uh, just the fact that I mentioned that the White House and the U.S. Capitol were built by our ancestors during the tyranny of slavery. Um, how can we forget the, ba- the greatest uh, architect in American history, Benjamin Banneker, who, who uh, designed um, uh, Washington, D.C., and yet we and have the trouble getting a, mo- getting a memorial to recognize him in D.C.? So, I mean, there's a lot of our history, uh, American history, that we contributed to. You know, that's why I worked so hard uh, with Juneteenth Jazz, preserving our African-American jazz legacy, because you look now, you would think that uh, jazz was something that came out uh, American experience with white folks. And uh, uh, that the roots of those music came from the experience of the African who arrived in the belly of slave ships and went from slavery to freedom, experienced discrimination, and the music came out of that experience. So uh, there's so many areas, sister, that we need to be uh, really cognizant of and reminding ourselves of what our history and legacy is as African Americans. Okay. Now, if someone uh, wants to uh, visit you and attend one of these events, Juneteenth events with you, um, you know, how would they contact you? I make I make it easy. Juneteenth dot US. Juneteenth dot US. Not dot com, not dot org, but dot us. Juneteenth dot US is another easy way to get me. National Juneteenth dot com is another easy way to get me. My phone number and everything on those websites. And I can always be reached at every code six six two three nine two two zero one six. But some of the people have access to um Resources with the web. Just go to Juneteenth.us, US, uh, not .com, not .net, but Juneteenth.us on NationalJuneteenth.com, and you got me. All right. Well, I want to thank you, Doc, um, for coming on the show. I always have a great time talking to you on the show and, you know, even in private conversations. I learned so much. So um, let's keep in touch, and, and hopefully you'll be back on when we talk about the different celebrations. African Americans um, participated in on our journey to freedom. All right. Okay, sister. All right. Have a good Take night. Take care now. All right. Bye bye.